Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Feliz Año Nuevo. It's your girl, Dalis Jasmine, back at it con Hello Latino. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to 2021. And welcome to a whole new set of amazing guests and stories. Today's guest is known as Latina Powerpuff, but in this episode, you'll get to know La Jefa behind the name Jimena Martinez, a first-generation Mexican-American from the Central Valley who is currently pursuing her PhD in higher education. She talks about being a first-gen college student, taking a break from higher education, and creating Latina Powerpuff to encourage women and girls from underrepresented backgrounds to pursue STEM degrees and careers. Gracias, Mena, for sharing your story. For all of y'all listening, enjoy this conversation. We're going to start recording. <laughs> Well, I'm super excited to have you, girl. I have heard, you know, it's funny, before Bridget introduced us, I have heard about the Latina Powerpuff before. And I was like, wait, this is Jimena. Like, I I know I put the dots <laughs> together. Um, but girl, your brand is out there. And, you know, like, it's been really cool following you and following your journey and how open you are about your advocacy, what you're passionate about. So I just wanted to give you a props and really happy that you're you. you're on Hello Latino. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I know um, I listened to just the intro and even just the intro got me really pumped up to to be on here with you. Yes, I'm excited to learn more about you. So let's start with the first question, and that's how do you identify and why? How do I identify? Well, from my at name. Latina Powerpuff. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely identify as Latina. And I think that's an identity I started to understand more as I got older, even, you know, going through college, a lot of different experiences um, helped me understand what that means. And of course, it's not a perfect identifying term. N none are. But um, I think it's a way that I've come closer to my culture and um, just learning more. And so uh, when I made the decision to kind of change that to be my social media name is also when I was just starting to be more comfortable with really owning that part about me. Because I think growing up, um, you know, the way that I did, it wasn't always celebrated or it was othered, you know, I was trying to assimilate. Um, and just as a child, you know, you don't even really know what that means. But um, yeah, that's definitely how I identify. I identify as, you know, first generation Mexican American. So I would say those are the two big ones. 
What do you think were, you know, the top experiences that led you to start identifying as Latina? Because you're really, you're, you're right. I mean, a lot of the first gen struggle is we're taught to assimilate because that's what our parents are trying to do, right? And mm-hmm. so what were some of those experiences in your, you know, in your life that led you to be proud of being a Latina? First of all, learning more, not just about my own heritage, but about like Latinidad, as you say, in, in general and how diverse it is. I think it's important for me as a Mexican-American to recognize that um, the Mexican experience in the United States is often centered, which leaves out like, you know, other Latinos. And I um, just the more and more that I learned and started being vocal um, after college, definitely once I started to get my foot into the workforce, um, I just recognize how important it was to be vocal um, and to not, you know, assimilate, to be proud and um, to really put my story out there for, for others who needed somebody to um, connect with, because I think I often didn't feel that way with um, like who I saw in the media as being celebrated or, you know, it was always like the Latina stereotypes. So, um, girl. All yes. the stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, all the stereotypes. That's something that I I always like think about too. I'm like, we really grow up with these stereotypes of what Latinas are, right? And it's either, in my opinion, I, I'd love to hear what you think, but in my opinion, I would always see Latinas as either over sexualized, or mm-hmm. I would see them as hella loud and you know, like like dramatic. And I'm like, those are the only two options, like. <laughs> Yeah, it would be that or it would be like the service, you know, no speaking, Mm -hmm. like they would just be like the humble servant, you know, that didn't really take up any space and didn't really have like depth to their character, which is like there's so much to um, being a Latina, being Latino, Latinx, that um, I think now we're just finally starting to see a lot more representation and a lot more depth in characters and that's really being recognized how much diversity there is. Like, we're not all the same. We don't all speak Spanish. We're not all from like the same types of, you know, we don't eat the same food. Like there are a lot of similarities that kind of weave us together um, in our experiences, but it's, it's just so many differences to be celebrated really. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that you know, it was interesting being in, in San Diego cause I grew up here and I was born and raised here. And one of the things that people would assume of Latinas, of Latinos, it was that we all love spicy food. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I learned how to eat spicy food because my dad, he actually lived in Mexico for for a couple years because he was, you know, the immigration story is complicated, but he immigrated from mm-hmm. Honduras, which you have to go through like Guatemala, you have to go through Mexico, obviously, to get to the United States the way that he came. Right. And so for him, he stayed in in Mexico because something happened and he just like ended up staying, but he had to learn how to assimilate to Mexican culture. So he started eating really spicy food and he tells me his first experiences eating spicy food. He was like, Oh my God, it was the worst thing because Hondurans don't eat spicy food like that. (laughs) 
And so he taught me how to eat spicy food since I was a kid. So, and then, you know, obviously being in San Diego, being around a lot of Mexican culture, you know, it was really normal, mm -hmm. but the rest of my family looks at us like we're crazy. They're like, we don't understand you. Like, <laughs> why would you eat spicy food like that? But it's really funny. Cause again, it's those little small differences where people are like, people don't know. And I, again, I don't blame them. It's not, it's mm -hmm. not their fault. It's, it's part of the education that has been lacking in media and school and all of those different areas. But yeah, I mean, that's Definitely. a great point to bring up. For sure. And speaking of education, that's one of my big passion areas. And I do think it's um, important for the health of, and, you know, mental development of kids to see themselves and their culture reflected in what they read and what they see. So I'm glad that there's more movements towards that. Before we get into your story and your passion for education and, and all of that, which I'm really excited to learn about, let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about your parents' immigration story or if it's your grandparents, whatever that may be, um, or maybe if it's your story. But let's talk about the beginning, your, your family's immigration story, and then we'll kind of go into your story. So my parents came to the United States separately. They were each really young and they came to work. You know, um, my dad is from Guanajuato and he came here to work when he was about 12, 13, really young. Um, and then similar with my mom, she came because she wanted to try to pursue an education and that didn't, you know, it, it didn't end up manifesting, but she did also want to work to help support her family. She came from Nayarit also at a young age, maybe 16, 17. So they just left everything that they knew, you know, their families, their friends, their entire lives to try to, um, to establish themselves here. Um, and so they ended up both uh, being around like the Santa Cruz area and meeting there. And so that's really where I grew up is around Watsonville, Santa Cruz. And we bounced around and, and moved around a lot because um, my dad being a, uh, a farm worker had to always go, you know, where the harvest was going. And then mm -hmm. similarly, my mom being a cannery uh, worker, she um, also had to do the same thing. So it was difficult kind of feeling like you belong because there's that culture clash and there's like I mentioned the assimilation thing and um, just not feeling like you uh, belong but um, here we are now and you know I would I would like to think that my parents are proud of themselves I'm certainly proud of them for all that they've accomplished um, and and the fact that that they uh, were brave enough to do that, you know, and haven't seen their, their homeland since really uh, is what has given me the opportunity to pursue higher education and go on to do other things. So yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much the story on that. Um, I know it's probably similar yeah. to a lot of um, people in this area, given in the Central Valley, you know, there's a lot of campesinos. Um, there's a, a deep story and history mm -hmm. there. So yeah, that was kind of um, my upbringing. A lot of farms yeah yeah so did you grow up on those farms or did you grow up just like around you know i i lived in the bay area for a couple of years but i'm gonna be honest i don't know much about that area like watsonville and santa cruz and all of that so give us a little mm -hmm. taste of like your upbringing and and talk us through like how your experience was being raised in, in these areas 
Yeah, so there's definitely a deep history to like um, the, the, the campesino and bracero and all of that. Um, because yeah. this area, this the soil is, is so rich, there's a lot of different crops that grow really well here. Watsonville is known for its strawberries, um, like the strawberry capital. So um, there's just a lot of, uh, of really rich culture. So um, growing up when I was really little, I just remember like going to work with my dad um, and helping out, you know, just not too seriously, but helping out as much as I could at that time, like picking whatever yeah. crops. And that was a really cool experience um, to, to just have that because it kind of also sparked in me like the love for learning because I just remember I would like take my little books and I would hang out with my dad um, and my siblings. And, and it was like a really peaceful, nice, you know, way to live. And I think now being like yeah. more hustle and bustle and go, 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 I kind of re reflect on that. And I'm really glad that I had those, those few years that um, helped me like really be in touch with nature and the earth and like really shaped my, my values. Yeah. And then how, so let's, let's kind of transition into your story because you are a first-gen student, right? You went into mm -hmm. higher education. So talk about those experiences and we can kind of navigate into where you are now. But yeah, let's talk about that first-gen experience. Yeah, so I remember like being in my junior, senior, junior year really of high school and like applying to colleges. I went to this college tour that took us around Southern California. And at the time, college really, even though I was on those tours seemed so unattainable and like so far away like it seemed like a world that just I had no idea about but somehow everybody around me was like oh you have to go to college like you have to go to college you know like that it was just mm -hmm. expected by teachers counselors and and other people and of course my parents they said you know you should pursue education we support you but I didn't really have anybody around me that knew what it was like, that knew what it entailed, that could really guide me through that. So I had to do the best that I can with the resources through school and stuff. But it was actually my mom who ended up finding out about this one scholarship um, through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. And so she was mm -hmm. like, just apply, you know. So I spent an entire winter break applying to this scholarship and applying to other scholarships like like it was my full-time job I was applying scholarships <laughs> like it was while my friends and other people were just like you know going out having fun I really was like okay if I'm serious about this whole college thing like I need to do this so yeah fortunately I I was able to receive scholarships and that's how I got to go to college but once I got there man, even the fact that like my tuition and all that was covered, I was not prepared. I was not ready for what it would be like. I, I went to LA from the, you know, like the small area that I'm from. And it was just like, whoa, like oh, shocked in, in <laughs> so many ways. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, yeah. it was a lot, you know, my, my mental health as well as my physical health started to suffer. Um, I, I mean, and I know a lot of students, first gen students go through that and like we feel shame because, you know, we got this far. It's like we just have to push through. But 
I had to stop. I had to take a break for my my physical and mental health um, before I could go back and continue. And I think it's important to to talk about that for anybody who might be feeling that way, especially right now with this whole pandemic and trying to do school. Like, it gets mm. really difficult. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if if you had any similar experiences with you know being in San Diego. But man, I just felt like a fish out of water. Like. <laughs> Girl, I, so it's so funny. I always talk about this, but my brother was the first to go to college. My brother and I are the, are the babies in the family <laughs> and yeah. all of our rest of their siblings are undocumented or were undocumented at the time. And so we were the only two who like realized like, oh, we have an opportunity to go to college and our, you know, our family really didn't. And so he was the first to go to San Jose State. And because he meant I had no idea where else to go. I was like, well, I'm just going to follow wherever my brother goes. <laughs> so I went to San Jose State, too. And even like it's so funny because that was my first choice because I'm like, well, I got family there because I have my brother. And I also I no one else here has been to a four university ex except for my brother. So I would be the second. And so I was mm -hmm. really proud. That was my first choice. And everyone was like, oh, I remember going to San Jose State and everyone was like, this is my last choice. I didn't want to go here. I was like, really? <laughs> and I was so happy to be there. But I, it's interesting because my brother, although I had family in San Jose and he went to San Jose State, he had already graduated by the time I was a freshman. And it's so funny because I you would you would assume that like he would teach me all the ropes and how to navigate college, but he mm -hmm. like at the time I hated him for this, but now I'm like so appreciative that he did it. But at the time he was like I he's like you have to be independent. He's like you have to figure this out on your own. And I was like why would you do that? Like I'm your little sister. <laughs> but he he knew he was like this is gonna teach you so much. He's like it taught me. He's like you need to have the same experience. So he like and I got real homesick. I was in bed for like weeks. I was literally like physically sick, like same as you. Mm -hmm. I was just so depressed. I was like, I don't, what am I doing here? I felt like I didn't belong there. I felt like so out of my element. I was like, maybe I just like did this too soon. And I was 17 at the time. I was 17. So it just yeah. was a lot. I was just like, I don't know if I could do this. And I really just questioned myself, but I didn't want to fail. And that's when, that's part of the, what what has been instilled in me and my family like we always are just we keep going and that can be a very positive thing but also a very negative thing and at the time that was just that was my mentality like well, I'm gonna just mm -hmm. keep pushing through this and I and I did and I'm, I'm grateful I did and I had to go through my own motions every year <laughs> right but I, yeah. I totally 100% understand you well thank you thank you for sharing that with me but yeah it's um Looking back on it, I feel like I, I still get this like weird feeling of like, oh, I'm taken back to that place. But like you mentioned, I am glad for, for some of the experiences. Um, and I also I also felt that same way of the the feel the fear of of failing, of failure, of just like going back home and or, and not having, you know, accomplished what I set out to do but I can look back on it and, and, and learn from it, you know, but just when you're in it, it's difficult to, to see your way out of it. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> you know, like you were talking about your physical health too and how it suffered. I didn't, you know, now that I, I looked at this, like after I graduated, cause I was like, Oh, that was actually a problem. But my freshman year, mm -hmm. everyone was talking about the freshman 15. I lost so much weight and I was like, 
like not healthy. Oh <laughs> it's just God, like, same. okay. Yeah. I was like, I did not gain those 15 pounds. I like lost like yes. probably like 30. Like I lost so no. much weight because I was just so depressed. <laughs> I didn't want to do anything. Me too. I had, well, for me, it was like, I just started getting into unhealthy habits and like just being stressed out and like using working mm-hmm. out uh, too much you know, but also not eating the right things to like fuel my body appropriately. So um, yeah, yeah, I also lost a lot of weight that first year I came back and was like, girl, where did you go? Yeah, my family are just like, what happened to you? <laughs> like, yeah. oh. And I told I told my mom, I was like, Oh, mommy is gay, you know, la comida. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> I just made yeah. up something. <laughs> Well, that was kind of true too. At the same time, I was like, I just miss home homemade food. But no, it's it's very interesting, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Did you end up taking that break, that like mental health break? Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I ended up actually, I got hospitalized because I oh, collapsed. Wow. Yeah, I was just pushing myself at, to the point where I collapsed, um, and I I had my doctor, and I I came back home. She was like, you have to stop. Like, you need to take a break. You need to recover. Your body is telling you. Like, I had other things, underlying conditions going on as well. So it was like, you have to do this or else, like, you might not make it kind of thing. So for me, I had been used to my whole life being like, go, 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 you know, like high achieving, like always pushing myself. So being forced to do that or feeling at the time like I was forced to, to take a break was really hard for me, not only because I felt the shame of like, well, I had to stop or maybe I wasn't strong enough, you know, but also just physically was really taxing as well. So yeah, wow. that's that's what, what happened to me. And I think um, I, I hadn't been too comfortable talking about that openly, but I mean, my whole purpose now is really sharing about my experiences as a first gen student and like not just the good and, you know, the cute, but also like the difficult and the hard parts so yeah I think that narrative needs to be told more because I think if I were you know looking back to myself as a student if I would have heard those narratives early (laughs) I think I would have been able to navigate it a a little better and again I'm thankful for those experiences and I I still have this like oh Patrick my brother (laughs) but I also am grateful that he gave me that sense of independence that he knew I could only get by really experiencing this on my own and mm-hmm. not always depending right on people. And he was still there, you know, it's not like he disappeared. He was still there if I needed him, if I begged him to just hang out with me. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I agree with you. That first gen narrative really does need to be told because I can't imagine again, like you said, right now, how students are managing Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And amidst of a pandemic, I'm just, I'm blown away. And yeah, I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that. I, I talked to a couple of college students here and there because I do workshops with them. And like, sometimes it's so hard. I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't even know what you're going through right now. I'm just like taken back by how challenging it is and how, um, you know, how hard they're working to get through the challenges. But um, I do think, yeah, so I I can relate as a PhD student right now, it's actually the hardest, you know, academically and rigorously that that I've ever had to um, undertake. 
But still, I think it's different for me because I've gone through the undergraduate and the graduate system. So I understand a little bit more about how to navigate certain things. But I can't imagine like a 17 year old me going to college for the first time. Like I definitely would not be having the same experience I'm having now. Yeah. Well, talk about college though, because you are literally in higher ed. You're killing it, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And you are a badass young Latina. And I think seeing that as an example of someone going into higher education and getting her master's, like working toward her PhD, like that's really powerful. And I hope you know that too. Like, I hope you like take time to just like recognize yourself and give yourself some flowers and celebrate yourself. (laughs) But that's amazing. So talk about that experience. What inspired because you we left off on your your doctor saying what what he or she said. And, and then it's like you took a break. And now you're getting your PhD. So what's what's the story (laughs) in the middle? (laughs) Yes, I so I took a break, a much needed break, I went back and I finished my undergrad, I finished that strong. So I did it in marketing, um, did some internships, got some work experience, and then I just gravitated towards tech, you know, being in the Bay Area, I was like, I really want to break into the tech industry. So I started looking into programs, I ended up um, doing my master's in information systems, um, which was a really cool experience. And you know, after that, I was like, okay, but I know that I've always known that I wanted to go into higher education. Um, And given that my scholarship gives me the opportunity to pursue my PhD, I was like, well, I already have like the business side and I have the tech side, but I do really want to do more and make an impact in higher education to help first gen students and Latinas and, and anybody who kind of had any similar experience to what I had. So that's what really motivated me to be like, okay. Like you need to you need to pursue your PhD. You need to get your doctorate and do research that can really push um, the community forward. So that's my goal. What I'm working towards right now. Um, so I'm at Claremont Graduate. That's a part of the Claremont Colleges in Southern California. Um, and I just started this fall. So you know. I'm, oh, you just started. I just started. Yes. So this is my first. Thank you. This is my first semester, and it's like amidst all this madness that's happening right now. Um, So I don't have the traditional first semester PhD student experience, Um, but you know I'm trying to take it day by day and still be really grateful and remind myself like where I started and where I am now and how much more I, I still have to grow. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. And what advice? I'm just curious. I'm totally segueing <laughs> into something different. But what's your advice for other Latinas? And I'm sure you have tons of this. But what's mm-hmm. your advice for other Latinas who want to pursue higher education or maybe are and this is a two part question or maybe are in like education right now and are trying to navigate <laughs> pandemic, yeah. politics, school, like all the things? I would definitely say the one thing that I needed so that I advocate for is reaching out to somebody who can help you, not even just with like school, you know, because school in in your academics is one thing, but with all the other things that there's not really a roadmap for. So like I always looked to um, like there was one counselor in particular that really helped me through, um, you know, like in high school 
But in college, I didn't really have that. So just being vocal about needing help, I think is advice that I would give. So I always encourage people to reach out to me, to reach out to other people. I know there's a lot of, you know, really great people in the like Latinas, Latinos and STEM community online. Um, but reaching out to those people and developing relationships with them, like mentor, mentee, or even just casual like friends, like, you know, I, I'm I'm really having trouble with this. Like, can you share your experience? Um, and that's really powerful and it's really helpful. So I would say for anybody that is interested, reaching out to somebody to to get to know like what was their roadmap, how did they get to where they are, um, and then similar for for those who are already in education, um, I get emails you know a few times a day from from young women especially who are like you know I'm having trouble navigating this part of the university experience or I'm looking into these programs or can you look over my resume you know so. I always try to make time for those things because I recognize how important that is and how um, it's like that social capital um, and cultural capital, you know, that it's, it's always my goal to bring help bring somebody up with me. You know, I never want to think so highly of myself. That it's like, oh, I don't have 10 minutes to help somebody else. Like I will, I'll make those yeah. 10 minutes happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, snaps to that. <laughs> Girl, well, that's a perfect segue into our cafecito and cheese portion because Yay. that we can we can talk about what you're up to now. I mean, I hope you have some cafecito with you. I have mine. I do. Uh, I do. You do? It's in my little Latinos and STEM mug that I have with me. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, well, I I want to know what you're up to now, and I kind of talked about this at the beginning, but. Latina Powerpuff like that's how I know you and I just want to <laughs> say you I keep saying badass because that's the one thing I think about when I think of you like badass because you are like you remind me so Thank much you. of like the Powerpuff like girly but you're also like it seems like you have this edge <laughs> seems like you yeah. have this edge to you because of your like I see your tattoos your sleeves and they're beautiful by the way like you're inspiring you. me to actually go and get mine but I'm not <laughs> trying to get a sleeve I'm just trying to get like one tattoo <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's like you, you have this girly side to you but you're also like edgy but you're also hella intelligent like there's so many beautiful complexities and I love that you are representing your your Latinidad so it's so out there it's part of your brand and I love that you're doing that because you're not fitting into a stereotype. Like you are your person. And I think that's going to mm -hmm. inspire a lot of other Latinas to own their own complexities and their own identities for what it is and not try to fit into these little pockets or stereotypes. So wanted to give you a little shout out and gas you up. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. What a way to start my morning. <laughs> you're like, yes. You better brag about this, too. You're like, own this, own this. Um, but. Yes, I want to jump into our cafecito and chisme, and I want to know a little bit more about what you're doing now. So let's talk about Latina Powerpuff and your brand and what it is and what it represents and what your okay. mission with it is. Yeah, so Latina Powerpuff um, is my blog, my online store, and just the name associated with everything that I do online. So it's really about sharing my story, sharing a lot of resources, sharing tips for um, not just the Latino community, but um, 
you know, women. I have a lot of different groups that I try to focus different resources for. Um, so that's really my passion project. And unfortunately, because of how much, how demanding my doctoral studies are right now, I haven't been able to give it as much attention as I was previously. But I still, that's like, you know, the, the, um, I don't really want to call it a side hustle because it's not even like about the money for me for that. It really is about like making connections um, and helping people make connections in their career, you know, yeah. sharing my story. So um, yeah, it's your brand. Mission, it's your brand, girl. It's my brand. Yeah. So the mission of that is really to help um, women and Latinas feel less alone, whether it's in the corporate world or in academia, because I had a lot of experiences where um, my being Latina, I was the only one. And then on top of that, it's like, I have these tattoos. And it's like, I, I have all this, you know, it was like, I was just, it was like trying to what's that phrase trying to fit, fit a peg in a I don't know. Anyways, it, I didn't, I wasn't fitting in. <laughs> I'm not the person to ask about those phrases. I'm so bad I, at them. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm the worst. I, you know, and especially with like my mom growing up, she would try to learn English and, and she would say them wrong. So then I would learn them wrong. And then yes. I would, be, I would yes. say it at school oh and they'd be like, girl, what are you talking about? Anyways, no, it's so funny because like twice a day. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's a struggle. It's for real a struggle. I'm like, I, I say these phrases wrong. So I just stop saying that. I'm like, I just, I don't know. And the other day at work, this is funny because you're talking about kind of trying to fit into the corporate setting. But the mm -hmm. other day at work, they say, they say these phrases all the time, like these like metaphors and stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> and I would like DM one of my colleagues who like, we both don't understand, but I'm like, do you, did you know what that meant? And she's like, no, I Googled it though. <laughs> But like yeah. I, I talked about it but someone was like at work someone was like oh it's like fog in a mirror and I was like uh, what does that mean <laughs> uh-huh or I've also had the experiences like thinking back to my early corporate days when I would try to like bring in my phrase and like translate it from Spanish yeah. or translate it from oh, like yeah. my childhood and it would not land well and I'd be like well you know it's it's better you know in Spanish but the gist of it is and then I would say this but yeah, That's I mean, it's like embarrassing, <laughs> you know, but it's also um, fun and beautiful and like, you know, it makes me who I yeah. am. So makes you who you yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, first gen, first gen love. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, talk about, I mean, I, I'm sure that your passion for STEM really began with your education, but where, where did that passion come from? Like what inspired you to create your brand? And I think you're kind of touching on it a little bit right now saying, mm -hmm. you know, you were trying to fit into these settings and, and being the only Latina or having all these tattoos. Right. So yeah, talk about I was, where that passion really came from. I was trying to fit into these settings and these systems that obviously are not designed for people of color are not designed for women, you know? So it was mm -hmm. really like my rebellion <laughs> against like, corporate America and like a lot of these systems of power and oppression um, not to get like too deep into all of that but it was really like girl you can totally get deep Do it. <laughs> of, express <laughs> of expressing my like individuality and just being like you know I know that I have to we have to sometimes work within these systems um, but that doesn't mean that you can't critique them and you can't call them out you know like uh um, what I try to talk about um, in my stories and stuff 
even with the uprisings that that are happening right now like it's it's that needs to be normalized like having these conversations even in corporate settings i was always looking for that looking for ways to bring more awareness because i was in the field of corporate responsibility uh for for a while and so what that means is like companies trying to you know do good work like when they give out money for scholarships for example for stem like i was doing a lot of that work but i found that it was really just at like a, a of at like a basic level it wasn't really getting too deep into like these systemic issues because a lot of the people around me it, despite being college educated and whatever like weren't understanding the root of these systems and these issues so it was like when you don't have that understanding and when it's not normalized to talk about these things openly and freely in the corporate environment then how can we really start to solve these big complex issues like the lack of diversity in STEM, the lack of, you know, the, the pay gap, it was Latina, um, you know, wa the wage gap. So just a lot of these things, I was really frustrated with the way that it was like a cookie cutter approach to everything. I was like, okay, I need to just like do my own thing, you know? And so I was, I started getting more and more passionate about STEM um, throughout my career because I was doing a lot of different projects. I always gravitated towards like the girls who code and like built by girls and a lot of these really great organizations but i was like somehow we're, we're you know silicon valley and corporate america we keep throwing money at this problem but we're not doing it carefully or thoughtfully enough yes. you know to yeah. really solve oh my it God. yeah to really solve it yeah to really start making like systemic changes so that's kind yeah. of long story short here I am now trying to do research in this very area to tackle that problem. Girl, what you said is so, it's so accurate. Like people just throw money at it mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're working toward it. We're throwing money. And she's like, no, yeah, it's like they made a post about it and here you go. Like problem solved. Yes. Yes. Like, problem not and solved. It's, <laughs> like problem not solved. And I think that's what, that's one of the things, and this is my my opinion, is that we in our society, we know how to put band-aids over things, you know, mm -hmm. everything from gentrification to just throwing money at these issues. Like we we think that's the best way to do it. <laughs> it's like, let's just throw a band-aid on there. The problem's gone. It's like, mm -hmm. no, gentrification doesn't make anything better. And no throwing money at something like Black Lives Matter isn't going to solve the issue. And so yeah. I, I I struggle with it all the time. And it's so tiring to be in these spaces where you're constantly advocating and they don't get it. <laughs> and you're it's like you have to advocating. educate them on the struggle. And then you have mm -hmm. to like advocate for what the solution is and you have to figure it out. And it's like you're the only person there. So it's not fair. It's like so many things connected. <laughs> It is so many things and it's so unfair and it's really exploitative of like companies in particular. So it's uh, my big thing was just trying to get, you know, corporations, particularly in the tech industry to understand that like what you are doing you know, is contributing to the problem. Like you are the problem, sis. You know, it's not like <laughs> you have to look internally, like how are you, what are your hiring practices? Like, what are yeah. you paying people? You know, are you only recruiting from these three schools that, you know, don't historically 
uh, offer a lot of opportunities for underrepresented people. And it's like, oh, hadn't really thought of that. And it's like, well, maybe you should. Oh my goodness, girl, so accurate. I am I'm having these like flashbacks to meetings when when it, it was really heavy, you know, with George Floyd happening and all of that. I was in these meetings at organizations that I'm a part of and that was the conversation, like how do we address this? And it's like, well, let's look at your intention. What are you trying to solve? Are you just trying to show your mm-hmm. brand and show that it's relevant? <laughs> Or are you actually yeah. trying yes, performative allyship or do you really want to be an advocate? And if so, what can we do in our space to really do that, to really make to really like make a solution that is going to be long lasting, that is going to be systemic, that does help marginalized communities? And I think mm-hmm. when when all of this was happening, I felt for a lot of my my colleagues, my friends who were in DNI specific roles that were just dealing with so much like BS, like to be real, it's a lot of bullshit. And what we saw a lot, and I think there's that, that's that like hate toward corporate is still kind of there in a lot of people, but it's like all these performative things. Oh, we're going to post, we are, we are standing by them yet. They don't have anyone of color in leadership. And it's like, sometimes I, um, people reach out to me from, you know, for like, some consulting or just different things just to get my thoughts on things not that I'm an authority by any means necessary it's like I'm still learning as well but um you can still be both you can still learn and be an authority (laughs) (laughs) you bring up a great point because it's like are what are your intentions behind this and are you really ready to put your your skin out there and put your like Mm -hmm. money where your mouth is type of thing like a lot of um, a lot of people were like, oh, okay, well, I'm, we're comfortable up to this point. And it's like, okay, well, even just acknowledging your privilege of where you get to say like what you're comfortable with. It's like, you yeah. know, people, people on the street getting, you know, killed by police and th- like they don't get to choose their comfort comfortability level. So it's like, what are we even talking about? You know, like just... Mm-hmm just trying to set that tone of like, are you really understanding this undertaking that you want to just throw money on and like put a a statement on your website? Like that's good. And that's cute that you want to have a statement on your website. That's like aesthetically pleasing, but do you really mean it? Because if not, then it's like, you're just, you're just muddying up what the real work that's happening. So it's like these spaces and these systems were like actually and literally not built for us. And we are reminded of that every single day. So when people at work would ask me, be like, why are you so frustrated? Why are you like upset? And it's like, are you kidding me? You know, but um, (laughs) yeah. You're like, let me tell you, bring out a list. (laughs) But yeah, like right now I'm currently doing research into the history of women in science um, in America since the early 1900s. So it's it's really interesting, but also really sad. And just, it makes me angry that, you know, um, we still still see remnants of all, of all of this history, like to this day. So to not acknowledge our history, um, would, we would just be remiss to do that. So, yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about recording these stories, right? And having them be everlasting like you know like there's so much power in in recording and and saving and archiving our stories and our first-gen mm-hmm. stories our, our latinx stories or 
you know, our narratives, wherever, however we identify, wherever we come from, but these communities that are often underrepresented, we, there needs to be more spaces for us to just have our stories live on. And that's why I'm really passionate about how are, how are some ways where I can do that on my end? Well, you're doing (laughs) that. So I love. Right. And I mean, again, it's like everyone and it's it's really beautiful. Every every episode that I have, everyone's doing that same work in their own ways, whether it's mm-hmm. STEM, whether it's I want to represent, you know, and, and fill the pipeline in tech um, for more diverse candidates or whatever each person in, in these episodes in my community and our community, whatever they're working on, everyone's trying to make moves to represent, to bring more people, more of our community in these spaces. And to me, like, that's a beautiful thing. I'm like, we're all, we're all out here. We're, we're doing work. We're doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. We are out <laughs> like, here. Yeah, we're out here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, no, it's really beautiful. But girl, you are out there. I'm, I'm like, really, I've been seeing so much of your work and, and to be so passionate and advocate for, for women, for women of color, for Latinas in STEM and STEM education, like, that's really powerful. And for you to even be studying that in higher ed, I'm like, snaps. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, hopefully one day I can have this, like, I want to get into archiving and, do, and you know, other things. But it's like preserving, well, first of all, discovering and categorizing the story of, like, Latinas in STEM. Um, that's yeah. one of, like, the areas that I want to go into. But also capturing, like, the stories of and the work that's being done now, similarly to the point that you were bringing up like that is so important um for future generations so yeah what 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 are the numbers if you know of latinas in stem yeah it's two percent is a big statistic wow gets thrown around yeah it's particularly in computing and engineering fields it's like less than two percent um of the field so you can only imagine being one of those women and walking into a company or a meeting and looking around and it's like, you don't see yourself. You don't see that like your company values your perspective because you look at leadership and you look at, you know, what gets celebrated and it's like, it's not you, you know? So, um, but we are out here and there, you know, we're trying to band together online and really show like we're here and how can we make a collective um, impact? But yeah, it's, it's that 2%. So that's what really is at the core of the research that I'm trying to do right now as well, is figuring out what are the, the barriers for Latinas specifically towards higher education and STEM education? Um, and, and how can we get rid of them? How can we tear them down or start to at least? Yeah. Do you know what some of those barriers are? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is like, you know, very layered and difficult to examine, um, like in silos, but it's definitely like, you know, language um, gaps for like parents, um, socioeconomic status, the fact that a lot of us are first generation and we don't have anybody to help us navigate, the fact that we have to take on a lot of responsibility, financial and stuff with our families. It's like, you know, it's part of our culture, which is beautiful, but you know, it also is a big plays plays a role into um, why it's it's difficult for us to get into higher education. Um, it's just like our responsibilities that we take on 
And the fact that we're, you know, as women, we don't get paid the same throughout the the way. Like we don't have the option of taking a lot of us. I sure didn't yeah. of taking like an unpaid internship, you know, for experience where it's like Girl. a lot of, you know, networking. I can do that. that. I like, was like, who, who does those unpaid ones? <laughs> right. And it wasn't until later in life where I was like, that is really designed to just uphold like the system that we have now. And it was like, you know, I had this whole exactly. moment, but at, at the time it was like, no, I need to go work a summer job, you know, and help my family out. And, and it's like just so many things. It's so, it's such complex problems, but um, I think mm -hmm. the fact that there's now more Latinas in higher education examining the, the, these problems through our own experiences as a backdrop is what's really important because we, we get it and we bring that to our work, you know? So it's not like, you know, people who are super removed from the experiences doing this research. It's like, it's us and it's, it's my life. It's my, hopefully will be my life's work. So I bring that with yeah. me every day. I try to. Oh girl, that's so beautiful. And you're so right. I mean, it, there's so many barriers that I was even thinking about of Latinas in general. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, yeah, it makes sense why those barriers are still constant in these different spaces, whether it's STEM or or just higher education. But I'm glad that you're making moves toward toward you know removing those barriers and at least tearing them down and creating more a more equitable space for us mm -hmm. um, because. That's what, you know, I had this conversation, I'll share this with you, but I had this conversation with my mom and she, she kind of opened up about like, she's like, I'm 61 years old, but like, I want to study. She's like, I want to, I want to like do all the things that I wasn't able to do because my mom yes. has been a mom since she was 19 years old, doesn't know English, mm -hmm. doesn't know the language, you know, like she's been a housewife, uh, a mother, like a, a full Latina mother and and like you said, our cultural definition mm -hmm. of what a woman is <laughs> like she has embodied all of those things and now she's like I want to study like I want to do something and I'm like go for it like do it you I know and like let me know how I can awesome. help you yeah right it's I was like actually and, and so interesting that, that you bring that up go ahead oh no 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 go 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 <laughs> I was just gonna say because my mom actually was telling me the same things it's like I got her this little like laptop Ooh. that she's taking um like online courses in Spanish um, so, so she's doing that, Wait, you know, it's like she, there? she, sorry. I'm going to send them to my mom. I said, what courses are they? I'm going to send them to my mom. <laughs> oh, I'll have her send me the list and then I can forward them to you. It's like, one's like a nutrition class. One's like child development. It's like, she's always, all these things oh, that she that. wanted to do in her life. You know, I feel like now is the time for yeah. her that we're all of us were grown up, you know? So that story that you share about your mom really touches me too, because I think, one, when we uplift Latinas and women in general, like we uplift entire communities. So definitely mm -hmm. I support women um, at any stage in their life um, wanting to pursue education in whatever capacity is right for them. And so I think yeah. that's just beautiful. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I love about our community is that we're so intelligent. Like the intelligence is so innate in all of us because one, we've had to be resourceful our whole lives. Like I can't think mm -hmm. of more creative people in my life than my parents and my family. <laughs> like just the creativity yes. that that they've, and yeah, I was, I was gonna say, like I'm sure you feel the same way about your family, but 
my my family, I think our cultura, our immigrant culture, they're so resourceful, they're so intelligent, so creative. They just haven't had those opportunities to go to school, to pursue these different spaces that we've been able to to navigate. And I think that's what comes with that first gen pressure is that we don't we're not going there just for us. Like we are coming mm-hmm. with our families, you know, we, we carry, it's not even a burden. We just carry all of our families with us on our backs because we're doing it not just for us, but for our entire community. And that's the heavy part. (laughs) That's where that pressure really, really lies. And so I wanted to point that out because the intelligence in our families are there. And I'm so proud of women like your mother and my mom, like being able to at an older age say, I want to study. And it's Mm -hmm. like, snaps to you, mom. Like, come on, mommy, let's do it. (laughs) Like, let's do it. But again, it's it's really like admiring our community and our immigrant culture for that grind, that hustle, but also just the the all the beautiful things that they have and that they taught us and what made us be able to navigate college and career and and education and all those different spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Snaps to that. Yeah. Well, with that, <laughs> how can people <laughs> connect with you? If they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about your brand, what you do and follow your journey, what's the best way to connect with you? Yes. The best way to connect with me is just to follow me on all my social medias. I'm at Latina Powerpuff. Or um, if you have a specific question about school, um, email me at latinapowerpuff at gmail.com um you know mentorship or anything that anybody out there might be interested in um i'll definitely get back to you so yes, thank you okay and the last thing oh of course thank you girl for coming <laughs> on and dropping some knowledge on us <laughs> but let's do a little closing this is my favorite part we're gonna do a little okay. brindis with our cafecito rebranding oh. what's up <laughs> yes, um so we have our little cafecito here Yes. And I want to do a virtual cheers with you. And I want to give you a chance to, to one, say what we're going to cheers to, but also give you an opportunity to manifest some good for our, our community, our Latinx community, our Latina community, Latinos, you know, um, having a chance to, to manifest some good. So what do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest? Well, I think I want to cheers to breaking down barriers. Number one, and what do I want to manifest? Um, hmm, that's a really good one. I think given the time that we're at right now, um, I want to manifest safety for our people, first and foremost, for the community yeah. at large. Um, but also hope that, you know, we're going to be okay. So... With that, um, I think those are my things. <laughs> yeah, cheers, girl. Salud. Salud. Gracias a todos ustedes. Thank y'all so much for tuning in, for being loyal, for being day ones, for being new to this podcast if you're new, and for listening to Mena's Story. For every first gen or every Latina attending higher education or for anyone who has questions for Latina Powerpuff, go to latinapowerpuff.com, check out Jimena's blog and online store. And if you want to connect directly with Jimena, follow her at Latina Powerpuff on Instagram and Twitter and find her on LinkedIn. 
and see y'all next week for more cafecito and chisme more hello latino love and let's connect in the meantime connect with me on instagram at ojasmine with four a's twitter at olavis jasmine and find me on linkedin and if you want to check out my website which is currently under construction go to olavisjasmine.com con mucho amor familia hondureña Mi gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Rise On dot life. Mi gente, let's rise on.